Bibles, turn with me this morning to the book of 2 Timothy. We're going to step away from the book of Acts this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we'll begin to read this morning in verse number 1. 2 Timothy chapter 3, begin to read in verse 1 this morning for a few moments. I want to speak to you on this subject, how to survive and thrive in the last days. How to survive and thrive in the last days. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we'll begin to read in verse number 1. And I'll invite you to stand this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and reverence for the reading of God's holy word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, begin to read in verse 1. The Bible says, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs was also. But you, you've carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your Spirit would speak to us this morning. And God, I pray will challenge our hearts. God, I pray for this this morning. If there's one here who's never been saved, God, this will be the day that they turn from their sin and trust Christ to be Lord of their life. And God, I pray you'll encourage your church this morning. God, educate us again through your word what the last days will be like. And Lord, as we grasp that truth, God, I pray that we'll still be burdened, but we won't walk about in a fog of dismay and bewilderment. But we'll understand that you prophesied what the last days would look like. And Lord, even in the midst of that, you'll find us faithfully moving forward, not just surviving, but thriving in the midst of difficulty and immorality that's all around us, so that when you come for your church, God, you'll find us faithfully doing what you've called us to do. We simply pray, God, as we do each week, whatever your will is for someone's life today, we pray they'll bow their knee to it in the time of invitation. It's in Christ's name we ask these things. Amen. Now I invite you to be seated. Remember that Second Timothy, uh, we've been studying in the book of Acts. Uh, we've seen the life of the Apostle Paul. He's now uh, we found him last week imprisoned. He's about to move to the seaside uh, palace in Caesarea uh, where Felix is going to examine him. 
But after that, he makes his way to Rome. And just prior to his execution in Rome, Paul writes this last letter uh, to uh, who was probably one of his greatest disciples, if you will, learners, uh, who he really brought up a son in the faith, and that was Timothy. And so it's from these last moments we don't see Paul writing any sense of regret that he served the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen really all the more encouraging Timothy to press on. Paul's always concerned about the next generation. Remember, friend, any, any church is always just one generation away from losing the gospel. And so Paul was concerned about that next generation, that they would be thoroughly equipped to be able to serve the Lord. I want you to understand that the church has been living in the last days since Christ's ascension. When Jesus rose, went back to heaven, he left the church mission, the church has been living in those last days. Uh, when I was a young boy and we would take a, a long trip, I remember my mom and dad took us down to, to Florida, uh, my brother and I, when we were in elementary school. And it was a really long drive from Waynesville, North Carolina, where I grew up. And before we even got to Asheville, I started asking, are we, are we there yet? And uh, I always remember, the, every, every time I would ask that, we were closer to arriving than we were uh, before I asked the last time. And every day, friend, that goes by, we're closer to the Lord's return than we were yesterday. And the Bible teaches that the closer we get, the more trouble and hardship and perilous times there will be upon this earth. 2 Timothy 3 is a guide to not only survive, but to thrive in these last days. God's desire for us, friend, listen, is not to run about in these last days with the chicken little faith, constantly crying that the sky's falling, the sky's falling. We know, friend, listen, the sky isn't falling, it's already fallen. And we know this. And so to constantly go about breathing in a spiritual paper bag because of the moral climate of our country and our world, it really shows a lost and dying world that we really don't have any faith. And so I pray through this text this morning, God will encourage you, he will equip you, and he'll help move you to a place that you can really move forward in faithfulness in these last days and not just survive, but be able to thrive in a positive way. Three things I want you to see from this text this morning. First off, I want you to see the certainty of contentious times. The certainty of contentious times. Look what the Bible says again in verse number 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, but know this. Uh, Paul's saying, you know, get, get a grip, Timothy. You need to get a grip on this truth. You need not only just to, to hear it, but it needs to become a part of you. you really, it needs to be a settled truth in your mind uh, that, that this is going to happen. You need to have a full understanding on this. But know this. Get a grip and have a full understanding. What? That in the last days, that is, the closer we get to Christ, we're in the last days, but every day's closer than we were before, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Uh, that word translated perilous is found only one other place uh, in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 8 and in verse number 28, Jesus is is ministering, and you'll remember uh, that there's he finds uh, some individuals who are demon-possessed there in Gadara. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 8, and verse number 28, that when he, Jesus, had come to the other side of the country of the Gadarenes, that he met two demon-possessed men coming out of tombs. Now listen to this, exceedingly fierce. That Greek word translated perilous here is translated exceedingly fierce. It says so that no one could pass that way. And so Paul says, that, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Exceedingly fierce days. Jesus found two demon 
possessed men who were exceedingly fierce. It was the demonic possession of their bodies that empowered them to be exceedingly fierce. And Paul says it'll be demonic activity in these last days that will cause the days that we're living in to be perilous, to be exceedingly fierce. And he says these things, they will, they will come. Uh, John writing in Revelation chapter 16, just prior to Christ's return, not the rapture of the church, which will happen before the Great Tribulation. That's the next prophetic thing to happen. We see the revelation of Christ in Revelation chapter 1. We see in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, seven distinct letters to seven distinct churches, which represent seven distinct phases or periods of history in the church. And certainly we're living in the Laodicean age of the latter part of Revelation chapter 3. But in Revelation chapter 4, John says, I heard a voice say, come up hither. That's the rapture of the church. Then after the rapture of the church, God will pour out his wrath on this earth for sin during seven literal years of great tribulation. The latter three and a half will be worse than the front three and a half. But the, la the next to the last of the bold judgments, the six bold judgments, listen to what the Bible says John saw in Revelation chapter 16, verse 12. It says, And the sixth angel poured out a bowl on the water of the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And he says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, that's Satan, out of the mouth of the beast, that's the Antichrist, out of the mouth of the false prophet. That's self-explanatory. It's the Antichrist's false prophet. But listen to what verse 14 says. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and to the whole world to gather them to, bat to the battle of that great day uh, of Almighty. And verse 16 says they were gathered to a place called Armageddon. The Bible says that spirit, demonic spirits will go out and will begin to stir up the leaders of the world to cause them to join together with Antichrist, to gather together for one singular purpose, to blow Israel off the map. And so we see that same work of Satan in these days. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 7, uh, the Bible clearly teaches that that is the same spirit that's moving about now. Verse 7 says, Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. The Holy Spirit is holding back that fierce work of Satan in these days. It's still there. It's still existent. But when the Holy Spirit goes up with the church, friend, it'll be like you pulled the dam up at 153 by its roots. It'll wash everything south all the way away. And that's exactly what's going to happen when the restraining power of the Holy Spirit is gone up. Friend, it'll be worse than exceedingly fierce. And so Paul's trying to say in these last days, you need to know that there's going to be a certainty of contentious times. There's going to be a lot of hardship, difficulty, and people will, will, will grow even worse and worse. So there's a fine line, listen to me, in ministry, between burden and insanity. And you've got to find that center ground. You, you, have to, you have to be burdened over lostness. You have to be burdened over sin. For there to be an absence of that is apathy and indifference. But it can also move you to things you see on the news and you watch people to a place of just insanity that you want. You know, God, why is all this happening? Why is all, if you're on your throne, why is this happening? Friend, it's happening because of sin. By one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. And so this is the way it's going to be in the last days. People are going to live in such a way that they're absolutely demon-possessed. And it's going to get worse 
and it's going to get worse. And so we need to be burdened over that. We need to be concerned about that. We need to know that the gospel is the only thing that can change that. Not political reform, not social reform, not economic reform. It's only the gospel that can change someone's life. But at the same time, friend, we don't need to be running around like God's dead and he's fallen off his throne. So we just need to have a firm grasp, as Paul says, that there will be perilous times in the last days. Verse 1, he says, know this, that perilous times, they will come. So this is a certainty. And if you don't know that and you haven't observed that, I don't want to be ugly to you, but you've been living in la-la land. All you've got to do is look around and watch the news to know, friend, we're living in those days of exceeding fierceness. Uh, we're living in those days. So the Bible promises in the last days there will be exceeding fierce, stressful times that are a direct result of Satan's work and man's surrender to Satan's will. But notice this also, verse number 12, Paul says, Yes, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That means if you're an all-in disciple, you're going to experience hardship. The direct result of spiritual warfare that Satan works through others. He says that's a part of that fierceness. Look at verse number 13. He says, evil men and impostors. That's people who pose to be a pleasant thing. These are wolves in sheep's clothing. They will look like they're kind. Satan will cause them to look like their doctrine, something they have to share, is going to be good for you. But they're really, they're an imposter. Evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse. What's he say? You know, cheer up. It, it only gets worse. Things aren't going to get better. He says prior to Christ's return, it's going to grow darker and darker and darker. But friend, listen, the light of the world is going to split the eastern sky one of these days. So understand that. It's, it's not going to get better. It will get better in individual lives. I'm not saying there can't be a great awakening in our country. I'm not saying there can't be a revival in the church. I'm simply saying what the Word of God says, that prior to Christ's rapture of the church, and certainly prior to His bodily return on this earth, at the conclusion of the Great Tribulation, it's only going to get worse and worse. That's what the Bible teaches. That's evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. And look what they do. Deceiving... They deceive the simple-minded, those that aren't grounded in truth, filled with truth, and filled with the Spirit. But here's the sad part. They're also deceived. Deceived right into hell. They've adopted Satan's doctrine, Satan's gospel, and hell's where one day they'll find themselves. So there is a certainty of contentious times. Number two, I want you to notice now, the, con the conduct of carnal men. Paul shares now about the conduct of carnal men, worldly people. Uh, and so he says, you need to be educated in this, Timothy, and, and we need to as well. He begins to share several attributes of people who respond to Satan's leadership in their lives. And friend, we need to be aware. The Bible says, let him that stand take heed lest he fall. You cannot, you can never, if you've been saved, friend, you are possessed by the Holy Spirit. He lives within your heart. And so Satan can never possess your heart and life but you can be oppressed, and you can be led away from the Lord, not from salvation, but you can be led away from a right testimony and the place of having positive spiritual influence over the lives of others, especially your family. Just ask righteous Lot, who lost all of his influence because he looked toward the world and he cast his eyes toward Sodom. He looked to the world. 
So, so be aware of these things this morning. Now, he begins, and, and, and I'm going to go through these really quickly, because if I share how many there are, some of you are just going to mentally check out, and you're not even going to listen to half of what I say. So I won't even tell you how many subpoints I have in, verse, in my second point, 21. All right, here we go. Verse number two. He says, for men, well, first off, they'll be lovers of themselves. I mean, it's all about them. They don't love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37, Jesus said, that's our supreme command, is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But Christ isn't first. It's all about them. And we see so much, that's all consumerism is about now. It's about me. Me, me, me. And many churches in the doctrine and discipleship programs are set up just about that. It's about you. Paul says in the last day, people will be lovers of themselves. Secondly, they'll be lovers of money. That's, that's their main desire is to get more money and make more money. If I've got more money, my life's going to be easier and it's going to be better. Jesus says no. Matthew 6 and chapter 6 and verse number 24, Jesus said very emphatically, no one can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. He says you cannot serve God in mammon. You can't serve God in riches. I mean, I'm thankful that the Lord gives us the money that we need to be able to eat, to survive, to pay our rent, to fund ministry. But friend, listen, when you begin solely just to worship money, you don't love the Lord anymore with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're serving money. He says not only will men be lovers of money, but they'll be boasters. And boy, I'm telling you, friend, social media took that to a place of, of people are on steroids now with it. Folks constantly are living for likes. That's the whole point of social ministry. It's for you to be able, not just to share with families, but just to boast about your life. Did you see this? Did you see this fish I caught? Did you see this pie made? Did you see this? And the majority of it's a facade. It's not even true. People absolutely just living for lives, constantly boasting of all the things that are in their life. And the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14 says, How can I boast of anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? He said, the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, it's not me, it's what Jesus Christ did for me when he saved me. It's all because of what he did at Calvary. But you notice that in the world today, just boast, boast, boast. It's all about look at me, listen to me, and then please affirm what it is that I've shared. Not only will they be boasters, but the Bible says in verse number 2 that they'll be proud. Friend, we need to be proud of the Lord. We need to be proud of what Christ has done. We need to be proud of spiritual victories in our church. But in that pride, we give God all the glory. Paul says, no, in the last days, people will be marked by pride. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before, before a fall. The, the author of... Uh, Proverbs also says, the preacher, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, the first thing he says that God hates is a proud look. Paul says when God sees some smug, proud look, it absolutely makes him disgusted. He hates it. Pride. The Bible says also, men in the last days, they'll be marked as blasphemers, verse number 2. Speaking evil of good. Speaking evil of good things. Now, friend, last week we brought out on Sunday night that when people speak bad, we saw Demetrius the silversmith in the book of Acts begin to speak evil about the way. 
A lot of people say, well, that's his prerogative. I mean, religion's a free choice. If he wants to talk bad about, you know, the Christian life, that's his, that's his business. Well, it's not his business. Because remember, when he's talking bad about the way, he's really talking bad about Jesus. Because in John chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And so to run down the way of a disciple is to run down Jesus Christ. Well, the Bible says when people are blasphemers, that is, speaking evil of good, they're not just talking bad about the things of God, they're talking bad about God Himself. How so? 1 Chronicles 16, 34, Psalm 106, verse 1, Psalm 107, verse 1, Psalm 118, verse 1, Psalm 118, verse 29, Psalm 136, verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. It's part of his essence. Just like with this pulpit, it's made of wood. It's part of its essence. You cannot separate wood away from this pulpit because it's part of its essence. It's what it is. You can't separate God from goodness and everything good comes from God. And so when people blaspheme, they mock, they put down things that the Bible says are good, they're really putting down God. He says it'll be a mark in the, in the last days. James chapter 1 and verse number 17, the Bible says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And so when people mock and they laugh and they run down the things of God, they're running down the one that sent them. That's what the Bible teaches. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse number 20. Woe those that call good evil and evil good who exchanged darkness for light and light for darkness. The Bible says, woe to those blasphemers. Another mark upon their life is disobedient to parents. There's no honor toward parents. Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 12 says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long. Friend, there's a balance. To be a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got to cut the cord. And moms and dads, you've got to cut the cord on the kid. We live in an area, again, where I'm telling you, family is like a cult. It, it's like people can't have a realistic grip on family. It's God's plan that mothers and dads are to raise their children in the strength and admonition of the Lord, but it's to prepare them so that they can go live their own life. But some parents have such a grip on their kids, kids can't even get away and live the life God's called them to live. And some kids are so dependent upon their parents, they can't even live the life that God wants them to because the cord's still tied. And so God's not saying that we're to hate our parents in that sense, but at the same time, friend, we're living in a day where people are completely disobedient, children and youth, and much of it, friend, is fueled by the television and the shows that kids are watching when parents just sit them in front of a television to occupy them instead of spending time and living life. And that becomes part of the life that they, they, they receive, and that's the reason they speak and they look at life the way they do. So if, you watch, if your kids are constantly watching television shows where kids lie, cheat, steal, and are always trying to have some shenanigan to get away from their parents, do you think it's really going to be any big surprise that they're going to live out that same way? Disobedient to parents, the Bible says. Not only that, but unthankful. Absolutely no heart of gratitude for the things of God. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 21, the Bible says, because although they knew God, now Paul's writing about how all mankind, all mankind recognizes who God is because of 
two ways God reveals himself to all people. That's through conscience and creation. All people, God has revealed himself through conscience and creation. The Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now listen to verse number 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. They weren't thankful for any of the blessings. And we live in such a society now, friend, where everybody just wants more, wants more, wants more. And because of that, they're unthankful for what they've already got. Just absolutely unthankful. The Bible also says, friend, not only will they be unthankful, but they'll also be unholy. Morality is just morality is an evil thing. Just live how absolutely ever you want to live in the day in which we're living. Just pick and choose however you want. First Timothy chapter one, verses nine through ten. Paul writing the first letters to Timothy says, "Know this." that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, murderers, mothers, and manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Now Paul says the things that the Bible says are right now are wrong. And the things that the Bible says are wrong, they're celebrated and right. One of the major marks, Paul says, that will be upon people's lives in the last days is unholiness. Just an absolute rejection of the things that the Bible says is right. But not only that, another mark will be that they are unloving. We're, we're living in that day. Just no, and, and it's the natural love that should be there within a family. People are so hateful today. Can show no kindness and love toward their neighbor. Love within the home. Love between husbands and wives. Parents to their children. There's, just, there's, there's a lack of love. Well, there's been a pastor that's been sitting on top of a roof in Chicago, going to make it for 100 days, and we've been trying to, to bring out and bear attention to a lot of the problems that are happening in the inner city in Chicago. But one of the number one reasons he submitted, and it's true, and the data shows it, that most young Juveniles turn into delinquencies because there's an absence of fatherly love in the home. There's, there's not that presence of a father's love, which, friend, again, is to stir up a child to, to look and turn toward the greatest love that can be found, and that's from our Heavenly Father. And that's the purpose of God in our life, is to be a child of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just an absence of love, unloving. Another mark, verse 3, is unforgiving. I mean, if you offend somebody today, listen... They may forget because they lose their mind, but they will never forgive. And I've heard Christians say that. I hate them. I hate that person. Well, First John has a word about that, friend. You won't forgive. You've just got hatred in your heart. The Bible says you've never been saved. You don't have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Un forgiving jesus had a word about that matthew chapter 6 verses 14 through 15 jesus said if you forgive men their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive men their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses what's he saying 
He says at that moment of repentance, when you trust Jesus Christ, God knows whether you really want your life to be conformed to the Word or not. You know, when I first trusted Jesus Christ, there were things that I didn't know God was going to command me to do. I didn't know all of the Word. I couldn't. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, A natural man sees not things of God, neither can he know them, for they're spiritually discerned. But when you turn your heart and life to Jesus Christ and you want to be saved, God knows whether you want to receive all of his word or not. And when you come to those teachings, friend, that says we're to forgive those who've trespassed against us. Now listen, forgiveness is not approval. Don't let some quack psychologist try to tell you, you know, well, you just need to approve of what they did. No, forgiveness is not approval. You don't have to approve of what somebody did. But Christ forgave you. God doesn't approve of your past sin, but he forgives you through grace, and we're to be gracious to others. So it's a mark on our days. People are just absolutely unforgiving. And only that, verse 3 says, they're, they're also marked by slander. They're slanderers. Now listen, slandering is not telling the truth about someone when it needs to be told. Slandering is creating and purposefully telling a lie to change the testimony of someone. That's slander. Just to, to deliberately to hurt someone. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16 says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You don't have to create a persona about them that doesn't exist. Bible also says, verse number 3, that these last days, men's lives will be marked by, by, without self-control. Just no control whatsoever. Just doing and going. Well, remember that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 23. It's something, friend, you can't grow on your own, but it's a work of the Holy Spirit that he brings about as you yield yourself to him. And Apostle Paul spoke well about the things I know I should do. He says, I find it so hard to do. Why? Because there's an old man in us, friend, that still wants to experience lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. But when our lives are controlled by the Holy Spirit, friend, we can have self-control over all those desires. But it's only through Him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He also says in the last days, men's lives will be marked by brutality, verse 3. They'll be brutal, savage. We see that in crimes that are done. I read a report last week. A woman cut the head off her child and then her dog. Murdered, her, murdered both of them. I mean, cut, decapitated her son. Gross murders that take place every day. But friend, if none of those happened, if absolutely none of those, 73 million babies are murdered every year in abortion. And most of them through partial birth abortion. You say, what is that? What's partial birth? That's where a child friend is pulled out feet first. Its head is still left in the birth canal. That doctor runs scissors in the back of the skull of that baby and sticks a vacuum hose up in its skull and sucks out its brain. That's partial birth abortion. And the majority, friend, of the politicians on one side of the aisle are wholly for that. Don't you let them... Listen, this next Supreme Court justice, it's not about equality. It's not about trying to get someone that's in there that's a woman. It's all about protecting abortion. Brutal. It means absolutely nothing to them. I mean, the fact that somebody would kill a little baby. That's the day in which we're living. They're marked by brutality. Verse 3, despisers of good. Again, this is what the Bible says. Is right. And again, not just blaspheming it, but absolutely hating those things. The things that the Bible says are right, people absolutely hate those things. 
And hate people who do. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to that which is good. The Bible says we're to hate those things. But friend, I'm telling you, I've spent more time in ministry arguing with Christians about how close they can get to the fire without being burned than how close they can get to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, 5, let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you also. Whenever I, chat, I, just, I don't have a conviction about that. Chat. Now, I think that's just a little legalistic to say that's right. The Bible says, friend, we are to abhor what is evil, to hate it, not to play footsie and not to laugh about it, as if it's no big deal. All of those things, friend, drove our Savior to the cross. He died that men might be free from them. We're to cling to what's good. Despisers of good. Verse 4 says men's lives will be marked that they're traitors. It's the same word that's used in the Greek in Luke 6, 16 to describe Judas, who for a handful of silver sold away the Lord Jesus Christ. He said men will be absolute traitors, turning those that they have relationships with, especially turning upon the Lord. Verse 4 says in the last days men's lives will be marked that they're headstrong. What's that mean? It's, the Greek word literally translates rash. Again, it's an absence of self-control. Just, I see it, I'm going to do it. Outburst! I'm just going to tell them what's on my mind. People are just, again, friend, you go to the grocery store. If you actually you get your buggy in someone's way, they'll, they'll cuss you out. Run the store. Let me just let you have it. You're not moving fast enough. I mean, they will, it's like they have a tow hitch on the front of their vehicle, and you're towing them down the road. Road rage, just rash. Because there's, there's not the controlling presence of the Holy Spirit. There's no meekness. Galatians 5.22, Meek, listen, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. It is like an, a, an oxen that is yoked to another. It has surrendered its power to the one that is pulling on the reins. And when we surrender our life to the Lord Jesus Christ, friend, we still have power within us, not only in physical strength, but especially in the power of the Holy Spirit, but we have yielded all of that to God's control. That's meekness. So the things that we say and do, we're dependent upon Him. When He tells us to speak, we speak. When He tells us to act, we act. When He says, woe, we woe. When He says, gee, we gee. When He says, ha, we ha. We're surrendered to His leadership. Not only that, the Bible says, verse 4, men and women will be marked by haughtiness what's haughtiness just a smug appearance just smugness this marks their their life matthew chapter 23 and verse number 12 jesus said and whoever exalts himself will be humbled but he who humbles himself will be exalted friend i've got no reason to walk around with any smug look upon my face because if it were not for the grace of the lord jesus christ i'd be on a one-way trip to hell the only thing I have to boast about is what Jesus Christ has done for me and is doing and will do until I step into his presence. But such a smugness marks people's lives today. The Bible also says in verse number four, these last days, that the conduct of carnal man will be marked by, they'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, friend, listen. There's, the Bible doesn't command that we're, we're to have this kind of Puritan mindset where all pleasure is bad. 
that you need to put on clothes that don't look good and don't fit good and be miserable for the rest of your life. That's not what Christ is calling us to. He's called us, John 10, to have, John 10, 10, to have life and life more abundantly. But it's about really what, what's first place in your life. Is it Jesus Christ or the pursuit of all the pleasures in life? And if Christ, is, you'll never be able to, as a disciple to enjoy the pleasures of life if Christ is not in first place. If you're not serving him for, if you've got a bucket list and you've got a plan that you haven't given to Jesus to take out of the bucket and off the plan what he wants, then, then you're living for your pleasures. But when you give him your calendar and your life, then you can enjoy all of those other pleasures. You see, the theology that drives today is what Nathan told David when he wrongly spoke in 2 Samuel chapter 7 in verse number 3. David had something that he wanted to do, and you'd have thought Nathan was just, uh, you know, in a pair of skinny tight jeans and had some tennis shoes on and a cute little shirt with his hands stuck down in his pocket sitting on a stool with a blue light behind him somewhere at the average contemporary church because he went and began to share this concern with him. And this is what the mouthpiece for God told Nathan in verse number 3. Go do that is all in your heart, for the Lord is with you. He says, David, just go do what's ever in your heart, and God's going to be with you. He didn't say, well, David, have you prayed about it? He didn't say, David, is it God's will for you to do this? Have you sought the Lord? Have you, have, you, have, you, have you called for the priest? Have you looked to the Uman and Thurman? Have you, have, you, have you tried to see what God wants to do? No, he just said, hey, look, whatever's in your heart, just go do, because God's with you. And friend, I'm telling you, that's the, that is the major doctrine of discipleship that's being preached and taught today. If it makes you happy, then God must be in it, so just go do it. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The main question is this, is it God's will for my life? Does it glorify God? And is it His perfect will for my life? But with all the pleasures that exist and all the pleasures that there are, the psalmist in Psalm 16 and verse number 11, he said it best. He says, God, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. You see, friend, the only way you can truly enjoy the pleasures of life is, is if Jesus Christ is first and he leads you to those individual pleasures for your life. Love God, not the pleasures. But it says the last day's living will be marked by people who love pleasures rather than they love God. And verse number 5 says another thing that will mark them is they have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. That is, they have this form of religion like they're serving God, like Jesus is first in their life. But the Bible says that won't be the case, verse number 5. They have just a form. It's a shell. It's, it's a facade. But they've denied the controlling power of the Holy Spirit upon their life. Again, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, friends, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you've never been saved. And when you repent and trust Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live within your heart. And then another mark upon their life is that they deliberately lead others from truth. Verse number 6. It's a mission in their life, listen, to be Satan's evangelist. I want you to listen to me this morning. As a child of God, you're either pointing people to Christ or away from Christ. And if you're not pointing people to Christ, friend, there's only one other person you can point them to. You're pointing them to the devil. 
If your life and your lips don't point people to Christ, you're being used by the devil to point people to him. He says one of the defining marks in the last days is people will deliberately try to do that. They'll be used by the devil to point people away from the truth, the truth of the gospel. Satan's evangelist. And verse number 8 says they'll have counterfeit ministries. And verse 13 says that, listen, it only gets worse and worse. It's not going to get better. It only gets worse and worse. So Paul says to Timothy, you need to understand, there's a certainty of contentious times. Here are some marks of the conduct of carnal men that you're going to be trying to reach and live amongst in the world in which you're living. And some of them are going to be sitting on pews inside churches. And you're going to be fighting hella acre every Sunday to try to convince them that the, the, the direction of their life and the things that they've adopted are wrong when they say that they're right. He says, and it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. Well, third, notice this now. The call to continue on. He says, this is, this is the way it is. This is the way it's going to be. This is the certainty of it. But he says, you've got to continue on. Look at verse number 10 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, the word that I taught, the word that I've lived out, my manner of life. Philippians 2, 5. He says, let this mind that's in Christ Jesus be in you also. Paul says, that's the mind I've tried to have, to think like Christ, to speak like Christ, to act like Christ in all things. My purpose, that's Acts 9, what God's called me to, to live on mission. My faith. He says, I have full confidence in the Word of God and in the Son of God. You, you've carefully followed my long-suffering. You've seen how I've suffered. Everywhere Paul went, friend, he got the tar beat out of him. He's in prison. His head's fixing to be separated from his body because he would not renounce his faith in Jesus Christ. And he stood in the face of all the Jews and said, God resurrected Jesus Christ. The grave is empty, and because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And he's now ready to die for that. He says, you, you followed my love that the Lord's put in my heart. Love for souls, love for people, love for, for others. He says, my perseverance. He says, I've, I've never quit. I mean, people drove Paul nuts, but he just kept moving forward in faithfulness. He says, you followed my persecutions, verse 11. My afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. What persecutions I endured. And out of all of them, he says, the Lord delivered me. He says, Timothy, you've seen that. You've seen the life that I've lived, and God has delivered me. And I'm sure some smarty pants would sit on the side and say, well, he's in prison fixing to die. I guess the Lord didn't deliver him from that. Friend, listen, when they separated his head from his body, he stood in the presence of Christ. God delivered him right into his presence. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So Paul knew he was a winner either way. If he got to stay, he, get, he got to keep sharing Jesus Christ. If they killed him, he got to go be with Jesus Christ. So God delivered him either way. He says, Timothy, you've seen all these things. I've lived this out. He says, but verse number 14, but you've got to make your own choice. He said, you've seen what I've done, but you must continue in the things which you've learned and you've been assured of. You've got to make that choice. And church family, that's why I'm telling you these last days, they're going to get worse and worse. Ministry is going to get more difficult. But we've got to make a decision. Families have to make a decision. And you individually have to make a decision that you're going to keep moving on in faithfulness. You're never going to stop. You're just going to keep living on ministry and being faithful. He says, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, 
knowing from whom you learn them. Well, who did, who did Timothy learn them from? Well, certainly from Timothy, I mean from Paul. We've already heard that. He was a spiritual father to him. But Timothy also had someone else who had taught him. In two chapters before, chapter 1 and verse number 5, Paul was moved in his heart, he says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. He said, and I'm persuaded in you also. He says, I remember, he says, you had a godly grandmother and a godly mother said nothing about his dad. But he had a godly grandmother and a godly mother that sowed the Word of God into his life, that lived the Word of God out in front of him in sincerity and in truth, and it marked his life. And so he's saying, don't miss this, the reason you're where you're at right now, Timothy, is because you had people that lived out a genuine faith in front of you. And you need to realize that there are people who are watching you. And so if you don't live out a genuine, authentic faith, what example are they going to have? My grandmother had a little thing on her refrigerator. I remember when I was a boy, it always said, you may be the only Jesus some people ever see. See, there's five Gospels, friend. There's the, the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But you don't know the other Gospel? It's the Gospel according to you. It's the Gospel that, you, not, not your opinion, because your opinion doesn't matter and mine doesn't either. It's the gospel that you live out on a daily basis. Lois and Eunice lived out the true gospel before Timothy every day, and he watched it. He observed it. He saw that it was authentic. It was different. And he received that. It became a part of his life. When the Holy Spirit gripped him, called him, he chose Christ, and he turned. And so from childhood, he saw those things. Knowing from childhood, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He saw all these things. And that's a reminder to parents and grandparents. Listen to me this morning. We're going to invitation in just a minute. Your kids are watching, and they're listening. And if you're not living authentic lives that honor Christ in every way, I promise you, friend, what you giggle about and what you laugh about that you do in moderation, they will one day do in excess. Unless something powerful changes in their life, they're going to plow the same road that you've plowed. Timothy plowed the road, friend. Listen, when I was a boy and my granddad was teaching me how to plow, he, he plowed one row for me. He laid off the first one. He said, now, son, just plow off this line. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. Just stay right in line with this one. The reason Timothy plowed the line he was plowing was because Lois and Eunice had plowed one for him. Now sit and listen to parents, you know, pray, you know, in, in prayer requests. Pray for so-and-so. You know, they're 50 years old. They were raised in church, but you know, they're out living for the devil. And begin to look back and research. Listen, listen, they're plowing the line that their mom and dad plowed. And now all of a sudden, they want God to make it straight. The life that we live just doesn't impact us. It influences all those who are around us and watch. And so he says, you've got, you've got to keep on, Timothy. You can't sit down. You can't feel sorry for yourself. You can't say, oh, woe is me. God, why is all this happening? He says, there's still ministry to accomplish. Keep on plowing for Jesus. He says, you've, you've got to continue on. Remember that Proverbs 22, 6, when it's a double-edged truth, train up a child in the way that they should go. For when they're old, they'll not depart from it. That means it's not a promise that if you train up a child in the right way that they're just going to get saved and go the way they're supposed to. It's a promise of this. 
that no matter where they go in life, the positive training you gave them will never escape them. Why did the rich, the son of the rich ruler, you know, sitting in the pig pen realize, man, I, what am I doing eating all this? I'm going to rise and go home. Because his father told him, son, you can always repent and come home. It had been sown into his life. He couldn't, he couldn't escape that right truth and right living that he'd had in front of him. But now it's a double-edged sword. If you live wrong and you say the wrong things and you do the wrong things, that wrong training and that wrong example will always be before them. It'll always be there. So Paul says to Timothy, you've got to choose. You must continue in the things which you have learned, been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. You've got to continue to press on. Now I will say this. You may have grown up with parents that were absolute no accounts. I mean just absolute no accounts when it comes to the things that the Bible says are right and the Bible says are absolutely wrong. But I want you to know, friend, you say, well, I don't have the right row. Well, somebody has already plowed one for you, and his name is Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. So you look past all the negativity. You look past all the wrong example you've had, friend, and you just pattern your life after Jesus Christ after you receive him to be Lord of your life. So challenges are going to come in these last days, friend. They're, they're here, and it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. And we'll try to win people as we go along the way, but the Bible promises that the world will grow worse and worse and worse and worse. You just have to look over the past five or six years and you can see that. The past 10, the past 20. It's never been as dark as it is now and it's only going to get worse. But God calls us to press on. So how can we survive and thrive in these last perilous days? Number one, be saved. Don't check out, listen to me. It's not about joining the church, it's not about being baptized. You've got to have your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Have you ever truly repented and by faith trusted Christ to be Lord of your life? If you've never done that, in just a few moments, I'm going to pray with you. I encourage you to do that. Trust Christ today. Be saved. Number two, listen. Get all in. Everybody look at me. If you're not all in, stop riding the fence and get all in for Jesus Christ. Whatever things, if, you, if some of these have hit you, they say, man, that's me. Man, turn from it. Ask God to cut it out of your life and get all in. Quit playing church. Get all in for Jesus Christ. These are the days to be all in, in all ways for Christ. Number three, grasp the signs of the times. Be burdened, but stop walking around with this chicken little faith like the sky. Sky's not, friend, listen, God's in control of the sky. The sky's not going to fall until God says for it to fall. He is in control of everything. He's not dead. He's not sleeping. He hasn't passed out. He doesn't have amnesia. He doesn't forget who he is. He's almighty God. He sees all. He knows all. And he's in control of everything. But get a grasp of the times. It's, it's bad. It's going to get worse. But then number four, go after Jesus. And these days, keep moving forward. Follow him. Pursue him. Jesus says, if any man come after me, see, if any man come after me, says, just take up his cross and follow me. Follow Jesus, friend, all the way to heaven. Tough days ahead, but listen, the outlook's bad. We say this all the time, but the uplook, woo, it's good. It's good. Heaven awaits, but there's some tough days ahead until we get there. 
Let's be a church that embraces the challenge to press on in faithfulness in all things. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. My friend, if you've never trusted Christ to be Lord of your life, the Bible says you're lost today. You're lost. I don't care how many churches you've joined, how many creeks, rivers, ponds, swimming holes you've been baptized in. You're lost in your sin. Would you not choose today to turn and trust Jesus to be Lord of your life? He died for you. He loves you. He's in heaven right now. He wants to save you from your sin debt. Come live in your heart in the person of the Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you until you step into his presence one day. But it all begins with whether you'll choose to turn from sin and receive him to be Lord of your life. It's a choice you have to make. If you've never done that, won't you do it right now silently where you sit? Pray straight to him and pray just like this. You've got to mean it with all your heart, though. God, forgive me a sinner. I turn from my sin today. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose from the grave. And I want Jesus to be Lord of my life, all of it. I trust him to be Lord of my life today. Now, God, make me into the man or woman you want me to be. Lead me and guide me. Help my life to count in these days and to reach lost people for you. That's my prayer. Did you pray that prayer? Did you mean it? I want to invite you to make your way forward in just a moment. When I'm going to stand here at the front, they're going to begin to sing. And I want to encourage you in what God wants to do next in your life. Child of God, did the Holy Spirit hit you when we began to go through some of those characteristics of worldly people? And say, that's just as Nathan the prophet looked at David and said, you're the man. Did the Holy Spirit say that to you today? That's you. And that one's you. And that one's you. And that one's you. And would you not forsake those today? I say, Lord, I don't want my life to be marked by any of those things. I only want it to be marked by holiness and surrender and love for you and love for others. I want your word to clearly be seen in my life as I live it out every day. Father, I pray you'll speak to our church. Encourage us. And Lord, what are dark, dark days? Lord, is, it looks like Russia is ready to invade Ukraine. China's more powerful than ever. Lord, we're held captive by computer chips. Things that we can't even hardly, we're dependent upon other countries. Inflation, challenges, immorality, sin in our country. Again, God, abortion, 73 million babies murdered a year. So much sin. God, I pray we'll recognize that, we'll know it's there. But Lord, we won't be overwhelmed. It will move us to greater surrender and faithfulness to share the only cure for all of those problems. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And invite people to turn and trust him before it's everlasting too late. Speak to our hearts. Encourage us. Embolden us in these days to be faithful to what you've called us to do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Let's reverently stand to our feet. Heads are bowed. Eyes are...